Hi, welcome back to this week of I Told My Stuffed Animals About Us. I'm Ashley. I'm Alicia. And this is kind of a special episode for us. Mind you, it's episode three. So I guess we don't really have much to trend on right now. But um, we are going to be talking about a feature article in Cosmo magazine that features us. Um, And we're going to be talking about some heavier stuff. So we just kind of wanted to start with a content warning and... Um, there will be mention of gun violence for sure, suicide probably, um, or suicidal thoughts, self harm, um, natural disasters. Natural disasters. Basically, it's going to get a little catastrophic. If you would like to read the article, we're going to include that in the description, a link to it. Um, so if you want to pause and come back, you're more than welcome to. But yeah, we just kind of wanted to. We haven't talked about this at all. Like we've talked about it a little bit, but this will be our first debrief of it, which is interesting too. Yeah. Ah, uh, okay. So <laughs> I guess we'll just jump into it. Um, I'll I can talk about how I got involved in the process. Mm-hmm. So I had a friend, I don't even know, like a peer in great books who reached out to me and said, Hey, I have a friend who is trying to do an article on borderline and Woolsey I know you have personal experience with it like would you be willing to talk to her and so that's how I got connected with Nancy and when we first started this it was a school assignment for Yale she was in a was like a narrative journalism class or investigative or something like that um and then I did an interview with her probably like January February 2021 almost two years ago now oh my gosh that's crazy but um yeah, we talked for like an hour and then I gave her some friends' names of people to talk to next. And then I think, is that how you mm-hmm. got into it? Yeah, um, I know that I talked to her February of 2021. I didn't remember that, but she remembered it. Um, but yeah, I think you had given her my number and that's how I got looped in because... I am pretty much always like open to talking about this. So mm-hmm. like my number always gets slid in, slid yeah. by. Yeah. Should I we explain what Borderline and Woolsey is? I mean in case this go you never know. And we can provide a timestamp of when it ends in case people don't need to hear it. Yeah, I mean, do you wanna yeah. Uh, wow, this is so awkward. I like in my head, I was like, this. I'll, I'll like do like a nice little objective overview, and I'm like, <laughs> um, yeah. So the this article and what we are talking about this episode um, is a series of a series of unfortunate events. No, stop. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, that's um, the right way to describe it. A series of unfortunate events that unraveled during our third month of college ever. Mm-hmm. Um, these events took place in November 2018. Um, it started on the night of the 7th, in which um, every Wednesday night there is a country western bar, or there was, I should say, there was a country western bar um, about 30 minutes from Pepperdine that hosted uh, College Night. Uh, they have line dancing 
every night during the week mm-hmm. and wednesday nights is college night so they it's 18 plus on those nights and it's a long long-standing tradition um over like several decades for pepperdine students to go to that and on the night of november 7th uh i was there along with 15 other pepperdine students when a man came in and opened fire and this was the second deadliest mass shooting of 2018 and uh unfortunately one of our close friends and freshman sweetmates elena housley was one of the 12 victims and the following day the woolsey fire uh, broke out in the same area and by the morning of the 9th it had spread to malibu so we sheltered in place uh on campus in the cafeteria and in the library and i believe there are some people in the gym as well um that day and night um and pepperdine gave us an extended thanksgiving break that week the week between the fire and actual thanksgiving break some students stayed on campus that whole time uh but the majority left so we Ashley and I were both about an hour away from campus for a bit before we went home. And I think that covers it. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. You say it so well, you know, <laughs> like you've, these words are not unfamiliar to you. Yeah. And it's- and that's the, that's the thing is like immediately after like, because news broke real fast. Like, by the time that I had, like, reached safety, I had already received so many DMs from, mm-hmm. like, random people. Um, because I had posted... A, my Instagram was public at the time, and I had posted a picture of me and Elena. I tagged her and our location. So mm-hmm. I was, like, really confused as to how so many people found me, but then I realized that's how, and that, like, really freaked me out. And now I'm very different with my privacy. Um, But like there were journalists reaching out to me and at the time, like nobody had like sat us down and said like, you don't have to do any of this. And I felt some sort of obligation because I was like, oh, they like, this is part of their job. Like they need to publish this now. Like I should help them out. Um, And so I just got so used to telling my story over and over so early on that like, yeah, this is... (laughs) Even though it's, like, not just a, like, another thing in my life, like, telling it, like, kind of is. Yeah. It's interesting. So, I probably shared something about Elena not, like, being missing at maybe Mm -hmm. 1 a.m. Yeah. So, a couple hours after the fact. And, yeah, same thing, especially all those, like, international journalists like bbc was in my dms and no way yeah no there's so many different reporters there's like one that was canadian or like irish or something like all the eight hours i thought i was cool because someone from north carolina (laughs) (laughs) dm yeah no it was it was a lot well because remember tamara yeah she retweeted or like responded to my tweet Mm -hmm. so um yeah, no, it was a lot of attention. And it was funny. I was in my like journalism 101 class at the time and we had just finished. Maybe. I know we had just finished a course on like 
how do you talk to different sources? And our mm-hmm. professor had used the analogy of like some people get kid gloves, like the nice, soft, like mm-hmm. goat skin, like gentle gloves. And some people get boxing gloves. And I remember talking to, I can't remember who, but I was talking to somebody and I remember telling them that analogy and I was like, why are all these reporters using boxing gloves with me right now? Like, why are all these yeah. people rushing for the deadline like wanting me to give a statement now, asking me to answer phone calls. Like I was so mad. And honestly, this is like the event that turned me off from broadcast journalism mm-hmm. as a career, as a lifestyle. Like I don't watch yeah. cable news and I, yeah. I have a lot of respect for cable news reporters. And I think there's a time and a place for it, but like I had never felt so disrespected and like uncared for as a person and as a mm-hmm. source than when it came to these people demanding a story out of me the night my yeah. friend was still missing um, oh my gosh, sorry, my camera's freaking out. Um, so I, that was definitely a pivotal moment in my journalism career. And it was a mm-hmm. just super, yeah, just super, I don't know. And then I hear you talk about your experiences with the press and we know like our sweet maid's experience where she felt accosted by a reporter, like in our dorm and it, it's a very hard spotlight to navigate when it comes to who to trust and who to talk to and like what's important. And that's why I've always wanted to write our stories or like hand us off to people who I know are going to take care of us. And I, I definitely feel cared for by Nancy, but I think Mm -hmm. Cosmo's a publication also gave me some trauma when we were talking about, you know, Maddie's article and the way that that all went down and finding it on Snapchat before I found it anywhere else was also like, Oh my gosh, which I guess it's knowing your audience. I was there, right? I was an 18 year old scrolling through and I found the right news. But um, yeah, I think this has also been a lesson in learning like who gets it right and who wants to care and see our story for what it really is versus just needs the soundbite to publish in 12 hours or whatever. Yeah. And I think like we also definitely like something that angered us a lot back then. And I mean, like still now, but it just like hasn't happened in a while was like, we saw so many articles being written in which like the people that were interviewed, like were not that close to Mm-mm. the epicenter. And of course, like everyone is valid in their feelings of grief and whatnot. But at the same time, like a lot of people that we had never heard of before that Elena never mentioned were like, she was such a good friend. Like I loved talking to her in class and right. she was always blah, 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 blah. And we were like, we don't know who this is and we don't know how the interviewer got connected to them because there were no strings like yeah. connecting them with Elena. And yeah, I think like, like it's of course, like we were harder to reach at the time because we were so actively grieving. And I'm sure like mm-hmm. from an interviewer's perspective, like people didn't know how, like, mm-hmm. cause yeah, there were people who reached out too soon and, and at a point where we felt, like stifled but then like we mm-hmm. saw these articles roll out and we we're like wait but we were right here right and so like that was a an interesting thing to juggle and I'm not sure that there is, like was or will ever be like a right answer to that right um but like all of that is to say like I think what makes like part of what makes this article stand out so much is like Nancy found the right people and like when she needed more people to talk to like she asked us mm-hmm. like even like a few months ago 
like she had asked me like, Hey, like, I kind of want the perspective from your RA, like, would mm-hmm. you be able to get me in touch? And like, I reached out to Josie and asked if it was something she was interested in. And like, instead of just like finding some like random source, like she went straight to us to say like, whose perspective would be the best to hear on this specific thing. Yeah. And that was something that I really respected and admired. And yeah, I think that's why part of why it feels like this, like fine, this story, like finally got it right. Yeah. That's also something like a hard lesson that I've learned as a journalist. And we've had other student deaths in the Pepperdine community, unfortunately, since this. And that's something that like I've really stood by as an editor is like, we're not going to publish this until we talk to the right people. Like we're not Mm -hmm. going to run this story because the fact that somebody died is one thing. The fact that we're honoring their memory and their legacy and we're choosing who gets to speak on that is completely another. And yeah, it's never something that we get right. And those are conversations. I literally was just crying about this the other day because there was a student memorial this weekend in Malibu. And I'm talking to, you know, the graphics news editor and the managing editor about how do we cover student deaths and who gets mm-hmm. attention and what's the line between respect and educating people about who this was in their community. But there's always some sense of exploitation and these kinds yeah. of stories too. And that's something that like I've really learned to be aware of is like, you can never erase that. Like there's that saying in journalism, you know, if it bleeds, it leads like the juiciest, mm-hmm. goriest story is always going to get the most attention because people are so wrapped towards it. And so like, no matter how you cover death, like it's always going to be exploitive, but it's, you know, finding that balance and you're right. Like, I think this did it right. in a lot of senses and it is, you know, it's jarring. It opens with a very shocking lead of you being scared for your life and like ready to defend yourself in whatever way you can. And I thought it was so funny that it wrapped up like a year ago with Elena's birthday where I was like, anyways, when they were all 21, they were happy. Moving on. (laughs) You know, in uh, July of 2021, everything was fine. Since then, you know, whatever, like, we'll see. No, I, I actually, so I was reading the article like right before this, just like, like a mood switch, a yeah. change. And I like did not react negatively in any way. And I was like, huh, I've become desensitized to my own trauma. But then that last paragraph really got me like for like, I guess like, I don't know. I was like reminiscent today mm-hmm. instead of like depressed (laughs) but like yeah like what got me was like thinking about like the trees like all the things that we've done in Elena's honor Mm. and like getting to be together I think I guess like because we've been separated physically like that it would make sense that that's the part that like got me um I also think it's funny that it said like we climbed onto the low branches to put the streamers up on her tree on her birthday because our friends were there up in that so tree. Climbing. Like we were very I, much I didn't like, go very high up. But there we were up in that tree. <laughs> we, let me just say administration did not get some of those streamers down until the spring. The I don't think they spring. ever got it done. I think the rain took them down. Like I think it oh. caused like the like the elements had to come and rip the streamers out because yeah, like I would drive past and see like how many were still left at the top. Mm-hmm. Right. I also love that I got snitched out 
that like about me leaving the alcohol entry. I know. I mean, they're like, they can't do, do anything about it anymore. Yeah. Which, okay. by the way, another thing that Pepper and I can't do, I never paid the psychiatrist. I owed them $250 <laughs> by the time I graduated. They kept emailing me and I was like, I want to see, like, I'm only going to pay if they say, yeah. like, you can't walk at graduation. <laughs> and they didn't. And I'm gone and they can't do anything about it. Honestly, you should email connie horton personally no. and say you want me to pay 250 dollars after all this <laughs> like you think that my trauma is worth 250 dollars to you like you think that's a fair trade-off that's that's like such a fair point honestly like with the stuff that they put you through they want to yeah. charge you to get help are you kidding me <laughs> plus with this whole wellness video like whatever they'll make it back up <laughs> yeah um, I know it was interesting for me because it was my first experience, like being on the other end mm-hmm. of this, this conversation, like journalism ethics in the graphic, like our school newspaper demand that we are not as involved because I've always been on staff at the graphic when we were having these conversations, um, but I've always been cool about, or like I've written the articles for mm-hmm. like us as Elena's friends, which is definitely like my favorite kind of process, you know, like when I can be really involved and have those conversations with everybody. But um, yeah, it was very weird to just kind of sit back and give my story away for the first time. Mm -hmm. Um, It was also kind of freeing because there's like all these things that like, I don't get to say, you know, when I'm writing it or like talking to people about how to write it. But um, yeah, I don't know. It just felt different. And it also like, I think my first interview was a lot less not not serious but when it's a class assignment you know like it's a very different vibe like she's just experimenting with this new writing style and um nancy being a malibu local was also really cool like i think we talked about booyo apparently they call it malibu yogurt if you're like from malibu or malibu yo okay well i guess i will be adjusting so i can blend in (laughs) yeah you can't be a pepperdine alum anymore yet what do you think olivia rodrigo calls it She's from Escondido, right? Or Temecula? Yeah, but she likes to have ice cream in Malibu. Oh my gosh, don't get me started on that. <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know. What about you? What was your initial thoughts like going into the project? Yeah, I mean, if I'm being honest, I feel like I didn't have any sort of expectation that it would be like any different because again, like I have spoken about this countless I I meant to like tally up the number of times I talked about this or like was mm-hmm. interviewed about it for school like after I graduated but I maybe I'll do that after this <laughs> um yeah because I'm I'm I like unfortunately was just so desensitized to my story so early on mm-hmm. so for me it was just like okay we're doing this again like Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's not to say that I like get like less authentic each time or whatever, but like mm-hmm. it's like not as heavy. Like, yeah, no, I was like wondering, like, did it take, were you like able to open up right away or did you take a bit because like you'd never done it in that mm-hmm. setting before? I think like a little bit of both. Like, I think knowing what you're looking for as a journalist, like, it was very easy for me to give that information and be mm-hmm. like, this is not the right answer, but like the way that this process is most successful, like when I'm on the other end of things. So I think there was kind of a transactional element in that sense where I was like, I know what is good for you to know. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there was that aspect of it. And then, 
there was also, um, yeah, like it was very interesting to vocalize it in terms, or even like when we'd sit down and hash out details, like not only what happened, but like, how did I feel or like what mm-hmm. others were reacting to? I think that was something that like, I didn't really I don't know, but I've always been somebody who's pretty blunt about the whole process. And I feel like I'm also able to step back and kind of step away from my emotions when I talk about it. Um, And I don't know if that's like the journalism element or just the disassociation, but um, yeah, it wasn't as uncomfortable as I thought it would be. I think it got harder the more it came closer to the deadline of like, once we knew that it was going into Cosmo and this was actually becoming an article, it got a little heavier because then I was thinking like I don't even remember what I said back oh then. me too like I'll be I was just reading the article um mm-hmm. like right before this and I was like I don't know if I said that or if someone else said that or if they made it up but, like <laughs> we're rolling with it like right <laughs> yeah I don't know and there's also things that I remember like Nancy asking me about us which yeah. was interesting because like and I'm sure the same thing happened to you where we were speaking on each other's experiences and then to read it and be like, oh, wow, like this is, um, it's a combined narrative or I thought it was really interesting. You know, we've talked about Borderline and Woolsey and all that, obviously, and we lived a lot of it together. Yeah. Um, but like hearing Josie and Maddie, I, and then we'd heard Maddie too, because she had her whole Cosmo article, which is its own thing. But um, definitely hearing from Jordan, that was really, yeah. It was so different, you know? Yeah. Which, like, it's really interesting because, like, of course, like, I've wanted to know everyone's story this whole time. But it's, like, so, like, how do you bring that up? And, like, mm-hmm. like I think people knew early on, like, this is something that I'm very willing to talk about. But most people don't. Like, to this day, there's several people that I know, like, don't bring this up with them mm-hmm. or, like, wait for them to bring it up first. Mm-hmm. And so then just, like, out of, like just to be safe like I don't really like unless it's within our circle or if it's like already on topic like I don't talk to them about it and it's really cool to get to, well not cool none of this is cool but like it's, <laughs> I enjoy hearing their perspectives and their stories and like the things that slip through the cracks when like recounting and piecing all the pieces together yeah. um so yeah that it was like really it's refreshing to get to hear the other perspectives and like the little narratives um mm-hmm. Yeah, I had something else to say. Yeah, I think I remember having conversations like sophomore year with people who were not as directly involved either. You know, they left earlier during the fire lockdowns or they didn't know anybody at Borderline or things like that. And it was so interesting to even like because everybody who was there has a part of that story. And it's so interesting to hear like, oh, like, were you in the library? Were you in the calf? Like, when did you leave? Like, what was your, did you get stuck in traffic on PCH? You know, like, what was mm-hmm. that experience? Did you see that one girl's story post about when we made it out, but so many didn't, you know, like what, because a lot of it's shared memory. Most people remember like the singing, the calf or yeah. things like that. Or I had friends who stayed on campus after mm-hmm. this, like stay at home order, not stay at home order after they lifted the lockdown for like a week and like even that's a crazier narrative yeah so I yeah and then there's also the super intimate people right who have just never talked about this after it's happened to them Mm -hmm. which is totally a valid response but I do think a nosy side of me would love to have a book or some sort of 
just long form documentary like what happens in that 48 hours to yeah everybody but yeah because like also like and I think we've talked about this a bit but like as more time goes on I like wonder how much of the memories we have are actually real and how Mm -hmm. much we've just like filled in the blanks from what we've been told or like what feels correct Mm -hmm. um and a lot of it is like in reading these articles I'm like oh yeah that that did happen right um which is a scary thought like just in general like thinking about like how memory works and Mm -hmm. how reliable or unreliable it is right um and that also like I think is why it's so important to me um to like keep telling these stories yeah um because like we wouldn't be anywhere or anyone that we are now without these processes yeah for sure I know even when you're talking about like oh how much did it happen apparently I crossed paths with AKB at least three or four times during that remember and I don't like I remember him being there like once when we got chocolate muffins like really early in the morning he came in when we were playing um quiplash okay everybody says that but I don't remember I remember somebody was there but I didn't know it was AKB and then there was also that time we gave like the really important announcement about you know we're all safe here like you're all fine like you're not being trapped here during I think you might have been with the chaplains at this point yeah yeah in the calf um, but I was apparently like right underneath him and didn't process that it was AKB talking because I was so sucked into John Mulaney or something. I don't know. Like there's all, people tell me things like, oh, yeah, AKB was there. And I'm like, are you sure? I don't remember him. Like there was no prominence in Maybe those memories. He visited us personally the night before. So like everything else is just it doesn't I don't know. I, I remember Rick Mars, but I don't remember. He AKB. said he'd do anything we wanted. Yeah. Well, and I mean, we never took him up on that. <laughs> well a, kind of a lot of things happened you know <laughs> so yeah I don't yeah it's crazy and it, it was also weird to have like in the article that commentary of trauma <laughs> running yeah. through it like I understand that is the premise of the article yeah but nobody's ever framed it to me like my therapist doesn't say right. that stuff to me so it's interesting yeah. to hear this other therapist be like anyways they're traumatized <laughs> which I mean they're right like absolutely it was it, yeah it's just different that's never the story that we've told you know yeah I think it's it's um something else that sets it apart from like because like all the other or like the majority of interviews we've done before have been within the context of Pepperdine so like people mm-hmm. don't need that background right um but then like I was talking about it with someone and they're like well the target audience isn't necessarily like you all like mm-hmm. this is for the broader public and so they need to be explained all that like of course like we know right. what it's like to live through these traumas and like we like all the scientific parts like yes no one's spelled it out before but like we know from lived experience and mm-hmm. so then like it's like yeah of course i like mm, like was aware that this wasn't like about us for us like usual but like it was interesting to like see that firsthand as they're like spelling out like yeah it's like talking about it in like a it's almost like trying to think of like those shows where like like kids shows where they like zoom out and like narrate does dora do that where she like pauses and explains what's going on Oh, I'm think, picturing like Lion King one and a half or oh, like yeah. Lizzie McGuire, you know, where she's yeah, got yeah. the little like doodle self. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I, I totally get that. I, yeah, and it's also just so interesting with the whole general public thing. Like, these are our first and last names being published with our deepest, darkest memories. And that's something that, like, as a grown adult, sort of taking a step back from, like, if you Google us now, you know, these things yeah. come up and, like, it's out there. But I think the idea of having a Cosmo readership mm-hmm. engage with this material is also so interesting you know I don't tell my coworkers this mm-hmm. story I mean like I'll post things about it I'll allude to it but I've been going on yeah. you know first dates and stuff and I have yet to tell anybody that I hate guns you know like there's some things that you just kind of ease into and yeah, I like go on first dates with that in mind but it always ends up I always it it just always ends up being on topic somehow <laughs> I haven't gotten to it actually it's funny I was talking to one of my friends and I told them like, oh, I'll never go over to a guy's house if he has guns. Like, I'd never want to like yeah. be in a home with guns. And he's like, well, what if it doesn't come up? And I was like, it will come up. Like, it will, I yeah. will make it come up. Like, I'm not entering I, a home with guns in it. No, yeah, because like I, so my like long term high school ex boyfriend uh, joined the Marines after after oh um, yeah when he turned eighteen and. Um, we were like friends for a bit afterwards. Um, he's he's now a felon. So <laughs> yeah. But like, besides that, we could talk about that another day. But um, uh, the first time I saw him after Borderline, which was like almost a, like pretty much a year after it happened, mm-hmm. um, I like asked him like if we had still if we were still together when this had happened. Like, do you think? And I knew the answer, but I was like, do you think we still would have, like, our relationship would have survived this? And, like, I knew the answer was absolutely not. Like, I am not going to stay with someone who's going to shoot guns for a living. Yeah. Um, and, like, I don't think I wanted to beforehand. I was just so, like, like dumb and young where I was like, oh, I'll go along with whatever he does. Yeah. Right. But he was like, yeah, like, I think, like, if two people are really in love, they can, like, get past it. I'm like, get past what? Like, mm, I yeah. don't think you realize. I don't think that's like a, <laughs> oh, no, like, they leave the toilet seat up sometimes. <laughs> like, that's a very different lifestyle choice to navigate. Yeah. But um, he's an optimist. He's a romantic. <laughs> Can't fault him for that, I guess. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's just an interesting being outside the college sphere and sort of navigating those conversations. And this is something I talked to Nancy about. Honestly, Nancy was such a therapist during this process. I hope she's okay. I'm realizing that now. Like, we just dumped so much, like, for, like, two Mm -hmm. hours at a time. Yeah, no, they were long interviews, too, which is to her credit as a journalist. But No, for sure. um, Yeah, it was definitely an interesting process, sort of unraveling all elements of it and talking about, you know, what is it now who are we now Mm -hmm. um and she was awesome to let us read her rough drafts you know like all the different versions that it went through but even that was sort of startling like watching it culminate Mm -hmm. to the article that's published and yeah in print and online um it's just such Uh, a different story mm mm-hmm yeah and like no to to your point about like this isn't something we talk about with our coworkers. like i was just thinking like this article opens with like a setting of me hanging out with my coworkers literally our second week of work mm. and like me like internally freaking out like not like I shouldn't I think zero signs of physical distress but like I was just thinking like if like because I'm, I'm gonna post this one at the time that we were recording this it is not out on Cosmos website it is no. on Apple News 
so we have not mentioned it yet, but uh, hopefully it'll be up by the time we're talking about this. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like if one of them chooses to read it, because like I'm definitely gonna post it on my story um, mm-hmm. and like give Nancy a shout out, but like they're gonna open that and then re- be like, wow, like these are all the things that go on in her head while she's hanging out with us. Yeah. <laughs> And, like, that's not necessarily, like, something that I dislike, mm-hmm. but it is weird because then, like, it's a moment where you become so aware that you're being perceived. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not something that most people enjoy. Uh. <laughs> no, it's definitely a level of intimacy, and it's not even, like, a forced intimacy. Like, if somebody opens this article and they start reading it, like, they're going to learn things about me, and that's just how this process works. But it it is so unnatural to have it be so third party almost like it's like somebody is telling you about you and you're just sitting there watching them it's like animal planet (laughs) exactly we're being animal planeted being nat geode um i guess something that like i've been really not pensive about but really thinking about is like how i want people to react to this because Mm -hmm. it's not Mm -hmm. news you know in the sense where this is like breaking or anything is different than anything I've ever told like the people that are close to me but um especially like we mentioned like coworkers and strangers and people that I'm just starting to have these relationships with that I haven't told the full story to I think that's the reaction I'm most curious about but there's also just lots of in-between people you know like they're not new relationships they're not old ones they're just people in my life that are going to be exposed to the story again and I yeah I don't know how I'm feeling about yeah I actually like was talking about that with someone because I was like I don't know how like this is the first time we're sharing this outside of our Pepperdine bubble Mm -hmm. and of course I know the story is still important and relevant or whatever but like at the same time like I'm like how many people are still gonna care to read all of this Mm. or like think about this like how many people like because, yeah, like, I, like, we know, like, administration was kind of, like, ready for us to, like, be, like, they're, like, shuffling us out. The end so of an era. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, they don't have to, like, deal with this again. Yeah. Um, and so I, I was telling him, like, I don't know, like, if anyone, like, of course, like, the people, like, who we have personal relationships with care, but, like, but, like, are, I don't know, like, how much does this matter to people anymore? And yeah. that is something that, I don't know, I was thinking about this, yes, like, the past week, I guess, but, like, the anniversary is rapidly approaching. We're in T minus one month at this point. And, I don't know, I kind of just want it to be closer so we can just, like, get it over with. But at the same time, like, what if it's that I just, like, want the attention? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> No, because I'm like, it was, it's, I kind of miss the rush. I mean, obviously I didn't love when like we, it was like overwhelming, but like, I kind of do miss the rush of like people that I like speak, like speak to sparingly, but like, no, like we care about each other, like reaching out. I don't know. It's a fucked up birthday. Yeah. And and it it is a birthday in some ways. It's a death era day well yeah but like it it we entered a new mm. we shed our skin the new old season can't come to the phone right now Alina's death post-grad version yeah yeah I I know 
that's something that I've also wrestled with as a journalist. But, you know, this idea of like, how long is something news? Like, how mm-hmm. like does a story like this ever get old? And I'm of the firm opinion, and this is incredibly biased based on personal experience, but like, stories like this never get old. I know another story that's really big in the Thousand Oaks community is um, there was two boys who were killed in a hit and run accident. Mm -hmm. And this happened maybe two years ago now, but every year it comes back and every year the community kind of comes around and recognizes this family. And um, the legal case is still happening because the woman who hit them is being prosecuted and that's really messy. And so that's obviously like a harsh news spotlight that happens but I think it's really beautiful that like this is not something that people are going to stop caring about and I don't think it's just because you know I think about um Stoneman Douglas as well like that's something that is still in the spotlight again because of the legal case surrounding it and the gunman and what the consequences of this will be for him but I don't think those stories are ever going to stop being important and not yeah. everybody might recognize it or remember it the same way every time, but those communities, it still matters. And I don't know, I hope that news will always continue to reflect that and remind people that like there is no timeline when it comes to tragedy in the sense that like you can't force people to give an answer at that time, but also your story's not going to wane or like become worse because you can't get it out in that manner it's only going to be more important to your community especially when we do have that community focus so I don't know I think you're right in the sense that like it always brought people together even in a stuff kind of way but um I think it will be different to see and I you know we don't have that many ties to Pepperdine anymore like when it comes to people but I I am kind of curious like what this will mean as a legacy rather than yeah as a community event um because there are still people there who are really closely affected by it especially I think like staff and faculty um that's not going to stop being important to them but the revolving door of academia really drives sort of that prominence and I I don't know that's just something I've been thinking about as well as like who does Elena become to this community when she's not a part of it Mm -hmm. but she's a history in it yeah, and I think, like, we already started to see that evolve when, like, her family was not invited to graduation. Like, that was not yeah. even a thought. Even right. though we had told administration at the start of the year, like, we want something to be done mm-hmm. at graduation. So, but yeah, I think, like, we can't afford for this to not be news. Not when, it, like, gun violence is still so prevalent. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's why like Parkland has stayed so relevant is like those students said like we like this can't just right. cycle out like and they're still doing activism in huge ways to this day like the, there are students who survived that shooting that are running for office um, which is incredible because like I like we know like this is exhausting like I yeah. Join like Pepperdine's March for Our Lives. I went to one meeting and I was like, this is incredibly emotionally exhausting. I need someone else to advocate for me because I can't do it myself. Yeah. <laughs> and as exhausting as it is to like keep on like telling these stories, like it's we like this is part of the process of like making sure it doesn't happen to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, which again, like it sucks that that burden does fall on victims and like survivors and those in that whole ripple effect um but like at the same time like I think it's really lovely to see like 
different communities that have been affected by gun violence come together. Like I know that like every year without fail, like I think it's every time for gun safety on their Instagram, like we'll post like we are a thousand oaks strong, like we remember. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, that's like it's it's really interesting because we of course like perceived all of this from a Pepperdine lens, but like Pepperdine honestly is not even like the epicenter of the borderline shooting. Like it Mm-mm. it's the Thousand X community and like every year, like throughout the year, like they do so much for this. So many things that like I don't even know about. Like I learned about new things that they do all the time. Like the other day someone was like, Oh, did you go to this? I'm like, Well, I don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like like we like that community is always going to like honor that, that I guess that's something that unfortunately like they've had to get good at. Um, but it's nice to see that that is something that yeah. they're committed to doing. And it is nice to see like communities outside of the ones that we were immediately like uh, processing this with, mm-hmm. like also like talking like, yeah, like the greater Thousand Oaks community, like Southern California, like gun violence advocacy, not not advocating for gun mm gun violence prevention advocacy groups yeah I think that's something that's something like why I started going line dancing at Canyon mm-hmm. Club and like getting into that community because I just needed that perspective of it you know working with the acorn and talking to those reporters and um I found a lot of comfort in knowing that this is something that's bigger than us not in like mm-hmm. a ours is our experience is smaller but knowing that we're a piece in a bigger puzzle and that it's not going to fade out with that you know revolving door of academia and it's not just something that's going to be washed away because we're not there anymore um it's funny that you mentioned like I didn't even know they did that I'm thinking about tarantula hill and then we showed up and I was like that's Elena's name like right there like those are her letters <laughs> I remember the first time I went to tarantula hill and because one of the people I was with was from that area um right. Surprise, surprise, it's my ex-boyfriend. <laughs> but I was like, I was like, hey, how and we weren't together at this time, but I was like, hey, how far? And he like immediately knew what I was talking about. And he was Aww. like, oh, about one mile. And I was like, cool. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> and he was like, oh, like this is like kind of like a memorial for it. Like it's kind of like they've structured it in a way that like feels safer to people. And like mm-hmm. the, yeah, they've got like the names of all of they've got like I don't want to say statues. They're not statues, but like they've got like structure. They're like art pieces, but yeah, yeah. yeah. it's almost of, like all the victims' names. It reminds me of like a totem pole. Uh-huh. Where it's yeah, because those used to be at borderline, mm-hmm. and then once they announced that it, the building would be demolished, they moved them, which I think is really cool too. That they like kind of mm-hmm. created a secondary space for it, but yeah. Um, yeah, but even with the fires, like, I think about that a lot, too. Like, we were super lucky to not lose anything and to not really, like, obviously, it was scary and very threatening physically, but I don't know. I was disassociating the whole time. I felt fine, but um, I No, I honestly, about, like, reading the fire parts, I get so confused because I'm like, I, I just, I'll go along with whatever gets written. I honestly, like, don't really know what was happening. <laughs> It feels so long. Like when I sit there, you know how mm. college time is just longer because everybody's around each other yeah. all the time and your days are just like so stacked. Uh, it's kind of yeah. the same thing with the fire where I'm like, there was so much happening. Like I, I, it honestly confuses me to like lay out the whole timeline and all the people that we interacted with and all the things that happened. But yeah. um, 
you know, talking to people at St. Aidan's about like, oh, they lost their house or mm-hmm. all their treasured belongings and things like that. I think it's also taking a step outside into Malibu and remembering, you know, people are still rebuilding their houses and there are people who still haven't recouped all the losses that came from the fire. And, you know, I got bronchitis, like there were serious physical things that happened to us, but that doesn't even seem that big, like in the big scheme of things, because we had so much other stuff going on. Um, Also like Miley Cyrus evacuated, the Kardashians evacuated, like, right. Of course there is like, like people who are more affluent, like can afford to leave and Mm -hmm. evacuate when they can because like I, I remember as a kid I was like why do people who live in like hurricane areas not just and it's like now I know like they cannot they cannot right. afford to do so but like yeah like even though like these celebrities like they did get to evacuate like it's like they still very much were in in the zone like because we we evacuated by choice like we could have stayed at Pepperdine if we wanted to mm-hmm. at the time that sounded like hell <laughs> yeah. does. but like like they didn't really have a choice and that it's Mm-mm. weird to think like this was a unifying experience for a lot of like people who are living completely different worlds than us yeah it's also so scary to think about your home being threatened Mm -hmm. like obviously Pepperdine was home at that time and if something had happened to my dorm room I would have been devastated but it's so different when it's you know your dog or your cat and your mom or your dad or grandma grandpa like I think about all of our friends from Thousand Oaks who Mm -hmm. literally out of the frying pan and into the fire like just one thing after the other um yeah and yeah I think that would have been horrifying you know people are staying and defending their homes with fire like with hoses and like working with yeah. the fire people and the bachelor house the bachelor mansion was threatened you know like yeah it is yeah it's so funny to think about like the the affluence and the the prestige in this fire everybody yeah every house got threatened actually the same wildfire that threatened my school threatened mm-hmm. the bachelor mansion so what can you say about your yeah. hurricane? I remember like so many people were like, oh, the Kardashians deserve this because they have so much stuff anyway. And it's like, no, like they had to pack up their entire lives in one hour. And right. like, yes, we kind of did too, but we were living out of a half of a dorm room. Right. Like there's not much to grab. Okay. No. Um, which by the way, like I honestly don't remember if I brought my stuffed animals anyway. Like I might have just left them there. I definitely that, didn't. Like, but then I'm like, that seems so out of character. Like, I think, like, n- but then I'm like, have I grown just so much over- more overly dependent on them since? I definitely have. Like, I have a very inter- interdependent. I literally brought Oliver with me on my trip this weekend. Like, I yeah. bring Oliver with me everywhere now. I thought about bringing two stuffed animals on my business trip this week. For t- yeah, I'm literally there for 36 hours. No, it's so important though. So I think you definitely should. But uh, that's yeah. a different <laughs> conversation. Um, oh, I was also going to mention like people lost their cars. Like, I had a friend mm-hmm. on campus whose car burned in the fire, yes. and like that's a whole process to recoup. You know, just not being able to leave like that. I don't know. It's a serious loss of liberty or uh, all the faculty who lived on campus who were going down to the calf to get service and water and things like that like it was such a different paradigm but we were so shell-shocked that like it didn't even matter like it did like and I'm very sorry for everybody who lived in those conditions however 
in my little 19 year old yeah. world didn't like didn't shake me yeah well like I th- it's similar to like how that morning when we first got to the calf to shelter in place like there were people like there is such a wide array of responses and I remember like going to the bathroom and seeing so many girls like do it like doing like full face of makeup mm-hmm. like and I was like how is this your reality right now yeah <laughs> I like I've always been a makeup girly like that's always been like my little like therapy in the morning but like I could not bring myself to even do my eyebrows like the fact that I like this was so so tragic that I allowed the entirety of Pepperdine to see me without eyebrows like that that's wild Um. (laughs) I know I remember um I didn't see any of that in the morning but I remember everybody was doing like their nightly facial routines like in the bathroom in the library and it was such a contrast right to leave our study room and go to the bathroom and like people are, you know, taking off their makeup and putting on eye masks or whatever. And then going back out into the hallways and putting on their N95s and sleeping with a mask on because the smoke smell had penetrated so much that like you couldn't do anything but inhale the smoke. Which I think it's so funny because I remember like a year after, I think it might've been yours or someone else was like, oh, I just found my N95 from the fire. And then like, look at us now, like the, this <laughs> completely different context we're all wearing them (laughs) no I literally saved my mask like as a souvenir yeah the fire and then I found it yeah during COVID and was like hey should I bust this out again like is this an appropriate time to start wearing it I didn't because I thought it was like way too dramatic and also (laughs) it's my fire mask not my COVID mask that's a different memorabilia I can save but yeah it I literally got bronchitis (laughs) do you remember going to Christopher's house I remember walking out and hugging his mom and being like I smell like smoke like that was the first time that it hit me like what had just happened was like I was hugging this woman who was just so excited to see us and it I smelled like smoke like all of me my hair my clothes everything just smoke yeah I here's that's the thing is like growing up I love the smell of like campfire like I remember Uh, like at church camp like I was so excited that my clothes would smell like campfire when I went home yeah and now I can't stand it Mm-mm. I mean like oh yeah that's like a trauma response of course but it's just like dang like no times have changed I was sitting here and I was like I smell smoke I don't like it's literally <laughs> just anxiety but I was like oh my god it smells like smoke in my closet like this is a problem um yeah no I've gotten better at first I was really bad like my parents had just built a fire pit and they were going out and roasting marshmallows and s'mores and stuff. And I was like, I'm going to go upstairs and like hide in my room. It's not you. It's me. Um, <laughs> and I've gotten better. Like fireworks don't freak me out as much anymore. Like there's oh. like I've I know I've also just like become of age and like drinking helps. But um, I yeah, I don't know. Like there's some triggers that I don't think will ever leave. But and it, I don't know. Again, like the fire wasn't even the worst of it. Yeah. And that's like something that I've had to like mentally adjust when I like communicate with other people because I know for some people like the fire was like so much more devastating than we can imagine and yeah. but in my head I'm like ah everyone was just like yeah like that that like I was so numb from the few days before that like the fire was like like even though and like I don't even remember until I like go back and read an article and like it says like 
I thought that it was the apocalypse. I thought that we were going to burn alive. But, like, mm-hmm. I don't even remember. Like, it seems so minuscule in the grand scheme of things. Like, that was mm-hmm. just like, one night for us. And we were, like, numb the whole time. Like, we were, like, we now know that, like, Josie was, like, high on medic- um, prescribed painkillers. <laughs> but, like, I emotionally felt that way. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think it hit me until, like, going back second semester, like, trying to study in the library, I would get really freaked out in different spots. Like, I couldn't oh, yeah. sit at the round tables. I couldn't go into that study room. I don't think I've been in that study room. Wait, yeah, because I didn't have any class. Oh, that's, like, much sooner after than I thought it was. But we were looking for a study room in the library, and that was the only one open, so we went. And we had, like, we were like sheltered in place with him and he did not react whatsoever to us being in there and I kept trying to like drop hints to see if he like knew or not and he just was so unaffected and I was like okay like I'll try to not tweak out but no I think it's interesting how different people reacted in the ab like the events following yeah I couldn't study in that room but like yeah like me and my freshman year boyfriend we were in there like the whole night right and I saw him taking a class in that seminar room like oh. this past year and I was like oh gosh oh god oh, like, that's so cursed I know it was just bad but I yeah or I don't think there's any spots on campus like that. but I also I'm a nostalgic person like this spots on campus yeah I'm like this is tainted because I kissed a boy here or, like <laughs> this is tainted because of this and that so I think it's also just a personal thing but there was also a visceral reaction at a lot of different spots where like I couldn't look at that hill or if I was down um like in certain spots of the calf and things like that, that. room that Connie Horton pulled us into yeah yeah like I walk past that room every day I went to work but like every time I was like <laughs> I know and it looks different now because I yeah had jumped in there for something but it yeah that will always be like a really stark memory honestly there, I have this like mental picture of Debel with all the different plates of food like the oh, like catering tins nauseating like, the next morning like all of it untouched unrefrigerated like um, and maybe this like is something to talk about it like deep dive a different time but like nobody was giving us what what we actually wanted like we had all I think all of us had expressed that like we want to vomit anytime we smell food and every day for like a month like parents and professors and counselors or whatever they would just bring more food like I remember there's like pizza Caesar salad Mm -hmm. like heavy stuff that first day and I was like no I tried out of courtesy like as like like as my Asian immigrant parents raised me, but like I could not do it. I didn't eat any of the food. I remember I like went to the cafe because I ate just the needed, oranges and that was it. I needed to like buy food, like be normal, like leave the yeah. dorm. Like I had to have that routine. And so I just like went and got pizza, which I think is in the article, but it was its own problem. Yeah, I the only time food was appropriate was when it was like 4 a.m. and they brought in those like chocolate muffins and oranges and that's when I busted out the Red Bull. Yeah, which I am allergic to caffeine and we all forgot and I drank it that night. And then I was like, oh my God, why am I so anxious? Is It <laughs> it must be the, the trauma. No, it was an allergic reaction. It's only the Red Bull. Yeah, no, it, what a night. Um, sorry, I'm trying to, I'm trying to take a picture so I can say that we don't have a pod this week. 
but we'll, <laughs> we'll have a something real special the next week. Yeah, me in my closet. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's um, it's definitely a fine line to walk where you're like, I want to know this information. I know that's something that we've talked about is like being information avoidant versus yeah. information seeking in this process. And I've definitely learned about myself that I'm, I am more information seeking the further it gets away, like the less that it's a tragedy to my friend and more like an event that happened. And also the death of my friend, like I think I've been able to find the nuances in that. Um, but I think like, I either like seek nothing or I like go down this rabbit hole and then I hurt my feelings and I don't really like know how like I never know like I the the line between information Mm -hmm. and too far is just so like I can never see it and sometimes I'm like I feel like I ignore it just because I like don't uh, this this is not to be like concerned about but like th- that I don't like care about myself enough to like stop like yeah. if it was like if it was like I I like noticed this the other day um because our one of our close friends was she's like in like she's like reading like a long distance book club with only one person <laughs> um yeah. but like the book that the her friend had chosen um mm-hmm. involved like c- centered around like a a close death and grieving and Mm -hmm. I was there when she was like trying to read this book and she was like I don't think I can get through this like I don't know but like then she like felt guilty and I was like okay if it was me that was reading it what would you say she's like oh don't read it and I'm like see like we're so like Mm -hmm. we're so quick to like be so protective of our friends and like our loved ones like boundaries but then with us we're like oh let me like push it a bit like yeah there's so much that gets wrapped into it and so like that's something that I'm trying to do um I like got like Loki an intervention about how I need to be like treating myself better and yeah. I also realize like I like am not a good friend to myself yeah and that's something to dissect another day um <laughs> no but it definitely is a form of self-harm sometimes yeah. for me yeah. where it's like I am ingesting more than I can take but it's because I like I don't know, like the pain, like the yeah. the emotion that it conjures because it is yeah. this feeling of like panic and distress and also deep, I don't know, there's also like a deep level of empathy that is both addictive and concerning that comes with these stories. Like Uvalde was like one of those events. And I think that's the other thing is like different gun violence events are more like gut-wrenching to me for a while. Yes. It was all of them. Yes. And now it's been more like specific I don't know but uh it's just something that I will kind of wrestle with for days at a time where I'll just be mm-hmm. overtaking there was this one time I think it was during my trip to Italy this summer there was like a full day that I was just listening to all these different podcasts about gun violence just reading all these articles just ingesting way more than I should be taking and I don't know why but I had to like really I don't know but it's just that feeling where it's like I am so connected to this like I have such a reaction to it that it's almost like fun in the pain because I yeah. know that like it causes a lot of feelings but that's not healthy yeah and and then there's the, the flip side of like trying to avoid the information and not mm-hmm. being able to like I was traveling um at the time of the Uvalde shooting that like when it was like 
big on the news and that was all that was ever playing in like a hotel lobby so like i'd be there like with my shitty continental breakfast eggs which by the way that's like another like low-key self-harm thing like those eggs are so gross but i always eat them (laughs) (laughs) i don't know like i i just like think about them when i'm not eating them too i'm like dang like i kind of i kind of miss them but like they're (laughs) so gross anyways um but like that would always be playing on -hmm. the news and i was like at what point can i go tell them to turn it off but then like what is my place in that And and then i was like of course i have a place in saying this but then i'm like i don't want to make them feel bad if I like tell them why yeah Um, it's like this huge wrestling of like needing to figure out like prioritizing yourself but then also like creating this cushion for other people like to land on Mm -hmm. when you tell them these things like that is something that I grapple with almost every day like do it like right and that's something we're gonna have to do when when the article goes live and Mm -hmm. my coworkers see that this opens talking about yeah (laughs) yeah um but yeah that was a situation where I'm like I don't want to know any of this like I Mm -hmm. yeah like I think the reason we go seek it out is like that's like a controlled environment like we know Mm -hmm. we can click away anytime we want even though we like don't but like it's but like a lot of times like people are like oh why why do I have this like horrible kink that considering like my trauma and it's like well because that's that's a safe environment for you to like reclaim what has happened yeah Um, and that is something that I've had to balance too is like how much of this is me like being so sensitive and like wanting mm -hmm. to care and like being more involved in this because this is a topic I care about and like want to be informed on because that information is powerful versus like there's also this idea of like I don't want to feed a news cycle that constantly hurts people like I always try and click the article that is about you know the victims or the Mm -hmm. timeline of events or things like that because you never want to perpetuate a violent information seeking um but yeah it's always hard to create those spaces for yourself where it's like I want to know this or I can't talk about this or you know it's in media it's in everyday life like everywhere you go like it's just part of the conversation and it's how do I engage with this in ways that are a little selfish but also not yeah I know we just decided not to do like our normal thing but my emoji of the week has been like the Florence Pugh frown you know like the aggressive Mm -hmm. like long frown and I don't know if that's gonna be the vibe next week but I I think it is this season of just like Florence Pugh frown Mine is like the the dead eyes with the mouth open. I I don't even know what came over me to use it yesterday, but then I was like, wait, this is hitting. It's like I don't even I guess I the context that I've been using it in is like a ah oh, shocking, but yeah. like it's fine, like it's jokes, but like Is it an oh wow? Mm, I used it in the context of announcing that I got a pap smear yeah so not quite a no wow but definitely in that vibe yeah like mini trauma <laughs> a soft an oh my if you will mm-hmm. yeah oh my oh me oh my so true. um all right well that has been this week with uh i told my stuffed animals about us thank you all for listening um please give the article a read if 
you so if you choose. can if you can if you want you know we just talked about information seeking and avoiding whatever feels right but um yeah that's all for now we'll see you again soon yeah hopefully talking about something less jarring i want to talk about um, boys next time we haven't talked about yeah. men yet or yeah. women, but yeah no i was like talking about how like oh we're like prop- we're- we don't think we're gonna name drop anyone and this guy was like oh really why not and i'm like do you want to be named and he's like wait you're talking about me and i'm like yeah yeah i am i think men would be surprised at who i choose to name drop on this podcast yeah. i think that would be the most shocking is like wait a second you think about me and honestly i don't i i can be taylor swift and say i bet you think about me yeah but i'm not that's going to tell you what i think about me. you mm-hmm. that yeah yeah, that's that's gonna be a huge one to unpack. <laughs> All right. Have a good week. Have a good week.